Okay, so got a first for the Guiltless Podcast. Pretty excited about this. Uh, yes. Our first guest, we have, obviously you guys know we have primarily guests on, but this is the the, 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 the first, a uh, first of a, a background. So we've talked to musicians, artists, you know, people that own restaurants, people that are comics, that are different personalities, bloggers, whatever it might be. This is the first of talking to, and honestly, I'll let you kind of define what you would define your, because honestly... You you have kind of you're kind of like a you wear several different hats similar in the same realm, but the, well Phil Chalmers first thanks for coming yeah really good appreciate to be here. the this time cool. but yeah, uh, good to, good to be how here. would you describe your like like if someone said give me like you know five six seconds what do you do uh, criminal profiler is the easiest okay. way to describe it people know what that is true crime writer law enforcement trainer those are my three tags. okay yeah. Now this is, um, I, I mean, it's 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 unique. It's not so unique because everyone knows about true. It's gotten so big, podcasts, mm-hmm. you know, documentaries, Netflix, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. It's huge now, and people love it. I love it. You know, I people love these love things. true crime. All yeah, yeah. everywhere it, I go, if, if I get to talking to someone, tell them what I do. There's always somebody that completely freaks out. Holy oh, shit! Yeah. Everyone wants to get into they just the mind of a murderer. Shit. They love it, yeah. Mostly women, too, by the way. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Well, Lexi, yeah. <laughs> my, my girlfriend's here. <laughs> Lexi's planning your demise right now. Oh, That's yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that, but because it's it's unique and it's cool. Everyone is always kind of searching for the job that they love and the thing that they love to do. Yours is something that I assume you very much like to do. It's incredibly unique, and it's... It's, it's, it's whatever you want to call it. It's a page turner of a conversation because you say that to anybody, whether they've known you for five minutes or five years, yeah. they're immediately interested. And a lot of people say, you know, I want to do what you do or how'd you get started? And I tell them, you don't really want to get started. Like I got started. I got, I came up from a bad neighborhood, East Cleveland, 55th and Broadway, East side, uh, dysfunctional home, alcoholic father. You know, I came up in a really bad situation that kind of probably projected me doing this, yeah. working with troubled teens, working with troubled kids. And one thing leads to another. I'm interviewing school shooters. I'm interviewing teenage killers. And all of a sudden, I'm dealing with serial killers. Um, I didn't go to college and get some fancy degree and said, I want to be a criminal profiler. It didn't work out that way. I, I just It's 35 years of hard work. And you know, uh, people, some people say, how do you get started? Man, good luck. I, I, I would well I wouldn't know how to yeah. um you know because it's not you know I, I don't imagine you or anyone is like that kid at can you know show and tell saying oh I want to do this so yeah, how of, how did of, you how a lot did of people you? go to college to do this but oh, that's a good uh, point yeah yeah they go to college I want to go to criminal justice I want to be a profiler I want to work with serial killers it all sounds great but getting from that to really doing what what I do you know you kind of have to work for the FBI and then you know you have to have a degree and you gotta you got to work with people passing bad checks forever. It's just tough to get to what I do. Um, so I kind of went a different way at it, and um, did it. I did a, just a huge research project. I've interviewed over 500 killers. Most of them are unknown because most serial killers are unknown. But I've ta- and I've interacted with the Charles Mansons, who's not really a serial killer but a crime figure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Son of Sam, you know. BTK. I mean, just there's a, a slew of people that I talk to. Hillside Stranglers. Your favorite, doc, anyone's favorite documentary. You, you've, you've been well, on the, you've been on the ends on that. And yeah, you, you've talked yeah. about like you know there's 500 plus you know, serial killers. Yeah. Most people are no, but the ones you named are the ones that, for whatever reason, the, the society's kind of globbed onto. Is these are yeah. the ones that we're going to know the most about. Yeah, there's been over uh, 3,800 serial killers in America, and most people know about 10. So yeah, 
I have a, I do a live training. It's an eight-hour class for the FBI, law enforcement. I, I travel and tour. I do this training. I show a lot of crime scene photos and stuff like that. I got killers calling in live to the training. People love it. But I, I, I love questioning the crowd, and it's always, it's always a new crowd. You know, let's, let's name serial killers, and we get to about 10, maybe 13, even in a crowd of like two, 300. Uh, people just don't know a lot of serial killers. They're mostly unknown. Now I have a quick so like so in your classes you get this the the the, the serial killers to call in the class. What is that like? Freaks people out. Yeah, like but they can't believe you know, it. What do the serial killers like? They they're like oh yeah like they're like. Well, you know I have to have that all pre-planned and set up. Um, okay. I've got to have the right guys calling, right? Okay, yeah. A lot of serial killers you're not going to believe this because there's this. First of all, all serial killers are different, right? Like we can't we can't lump them all into one category. So they're not all Ted Bunny, Jeffrey Dahmer. They're not all, you know, John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. But most serial killers don't like to talk about their crimes, which is a, a myth. There's a myth. They love to brag about their murders. Not true. Sometimes it takes me years to get them to talk. It's like a humanizing thing. They're not like, is there like a form of guilt or anything or? No, there's no remorse. There's no guilt. But they just, they... They, they care about their image or they're trying to get out of prison or there's always they're trying to, you know, there's always a reason why they don't want to talk about it. Okay. If I build enough of a relationship with them, they will. Okay. And those are the guys that call in oh, okay. on okay. the podcast. You've, if you've heard my podcast, they'll call into the podcast or they'll call into my live shows. Kind of the guys that trust you. Yeah. The guys that I'm, I have a relationship with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned a lot of them don't like to talk about their crimes, which is at least from a public, from the public perception is the exact opposite of what we think because you see a lot of the doc- you, I can think of movies and TV shows right now where there's a discussion in that interrogation room where they want to be famous. They want to you got caught because you want to be famous. You got caught because you want people to know who you are. This that, is now that, your moment. That's a movie. That, yeah. that, that's exactly. what a movie would show. Okay. The truth of the matter is they don't want to be caught. Uh, the truth of the matter is they love killing people. It's like an addiction like to porn or to drugs or to smoking or whatever and they can't quit. And they don't want to get caught because they want to keep killing. So uh, normally they it, it ends when either they die or they get caught. Okay. So as a profiler, and, and people have a, a vague idea, and I think mainly probably from TV shows and movies. Yeah, a show, show called Mindhunter. If you know what Mindhunter is, yes. that's what I do. It's exactly we were just what talking I do. We were just that. talking about it's that. It's the interviewing killers. It's going out with your little slideshow and doing your show. That's what I do. Because it's that's... We were just talking about I wish there was a season three because I just mm-hmm. loved it. But you did just mentioned that they're all different. So how – what is the challenge? Well, I mean, I think that's it right there. If they're all different, how do you profile? So um, the, the class I do is called Profiling Teen Killers, School Shooters, Mass Murders, and Serial Killers. So I actually profiled four different types of killers. The juveniles are very easy to profile, right? The juveniles are super easy because there's 13 reasons why they kill. There's all the warning signs. I lay out all the warning signs. I give the I give people the six triggers, and I, I'm I, we stop so many school shootings because of my training. Because I train all the cops that work in the schools and that. It's a little harder to profile serial killers, right? But the biggest thing I try to do is show them crime scenes. I show them what these crime scenes look like, and I I list you know let let them listen to some of my interviews, and I talk about the ten myths of serial killers. Like a lot of people have this, they believe these myths about serial murder, like most serial killers are white males in their mid to late 20s. That is a common profile. Even 
seasoned law enforcement believes that. Yeah. If you use that profile at this point in time, you'll arrest 7% of serial killers. So 93% of serial killers will get away with murder because it's not white males in their mid to late 20s. So myth number one, most serial killers are black males, and they're mostly older, 30s, 40s, and 50s. What, so wow. I guess what is the... Is it because the definition of a serial killer? Yeah, like, I, wh why is that the misconception? Because uh, the media doesn't report on the Anthony Sowells. Like, we all know Anthony Sowell sure, from yeah. Cleveland. Mm -hmm. You only know him because you're in Cleveland. Uh, true, um, yeah. Nobody else knows who he is in, in the country. But, you know, nobody knows because the media, national media, doesn't report on those kind of crimes. They only report on the white male serial killers. They love them. The female serial killers get very little press in the black... Hispanic, Asian serial killers get very little press. Um, I don't know why that is. I think it's kind of racist the way they, they don't report it. Yep. But uh, it is what it is. And uh, it, it's very bad because a lot of people don't understand what's happening in crime. And um, these guys, uh, a lot of these guys fly under the radar because they're never suspects. And these misconceptions really... They're deadly misconceptions. They're, they're terrible. You're, you're, uh, you're honestly probably causing more. Right. Of it to I think you are causing more because... And, and a lot of their victims are black females and black children, and a lot of black females. There was a recent case. It's Khalil Weaver. His name is Khalil Weaver, and he was a serial killer out of Georgia. Is it Georgia? I think it, no, New Jersey. Sorry, New Jersey. And he was talking to this beautiful college girl, black female college girl, and he's like, yeah, they met on Tinder, and he's, he's like, you know, I know you're a college student. I'm going to pay you $500. Uh, his name's Khalil Wheeler Weaver. And he said, I'll, I'll pay you, I even pay you $500 if we hook up because I know you're going to college. And her text to him was, you're not a serial killer, right? He said, no. And he killed her and got caught. It was like his fourth victim. Because there, it's, that's so far out of the box. I, it's a joke. You don't even think it's possible. Yeah. I get, what is the definition of a serial killer? Because like, I know we, we've talked about, I mean, there's already a couple things. Like, What do my, you think it is? Uh, well, th that was kind of my question is because like, if there are people that are like, is there a certain number? That's, or, yeah. Is it the number? Is it the pattern? Is it a number and a pattern? Yeah. Is it a targeting of... Because I've looked, ever since you and I have been kind of going yeah. back and forth yeah. about this, you know, I've thought about those things. I've seen some of the things that you've kind of yeah. posted. And then I really started questioning, and I went back to that Mindhunter movie where they were trying to define what it yeah. is. And they were asking those questions like, who goes in here? What if, like, a bank robber, you know, has yeah. killed three people on five different bank jobs? I mean, he's a serial killer? And that, that, that's yeah. why I asked. So it used to be th you had to kill three or more. The FBI just changed it to two or more. So it's going to increase the serial killer numbers because right. well, you, you have to kill someone, take a break, and kill them again. You kill another one. You have to have a, a cooling off period. It could be a week, a month, a year. But then we go down to that. And that's the thing I would say, Joe, is, okay, now, so what, what do we exclude from this list? Bank robbers. Bonnie yeah. and Clyde were not serial killers. Okay, gang which members, is a great example. Gang yeah, yeah, gang members, hitmen, people that get paid to kill. Yeah, you know, those people are out. So eliminate them. It, you know, I, I say is the people who kill two or more at the cooling off period who enjoy doing what they're doing. They love killing. And, and it doesn't matter if the if the if the murders are related or unrelated, as long as it's two or more. Or more. Yep. Okay. And for the ones that we were talking about, like even if you go back to like the 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 twenties and thirties, where we think about like uh, uh wow, what's the from Public Enemies. What was his name? 
John Dillinger. John Dillinger. I mean, John Dillinger, I'm sure, killed more than three people, but there was like, it was more like a bank robbery trying to avoid killing police. Killing cops, fleeing, yeah. 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 So, and, and that's why cause I'm like, I don't know what that definition and, and is. Bonnie and Clyde would have killed nobody if they would have just let them rob the bank and take off. But yeah. they no. only did that because they were trying to survive. Or like you said, yeah. like a, like Hitman, like a... a, a like the uh, Iceman. Iceman is what yeah. I was thinking of, is that he's killing for uh, almost like it's a job. It's not necessarily It, it was his liked. job, but then he started to enjoy it. So we almost classified Kuklinski, the Iceman, as a serial killer. Oh, okay. So he started to like it. Yeah. Like he would do it for not for no payment. And you, and again, you can tell if they like it or not based off like like you or yeah. people like you who you figure well, yeah, it's yeah, your yeah, job to What's the motivation? Why did you do this? Because I was paid to knock off these people. Okay, you're not a serial killer. You know, why did you do this? Some of the serial killers will rob people, but they do enjoy killing them first. Yeah. So, there, you know, and there's different types of serial killers. There's the lust ones who, who kill because they want sex. They want to rape people before and after death. They love that. Some of the guys I talk to never have sex with the victims. They simply are angry and they want to kill as many people as they can. No sex, no lust, nothing like that. So everybody has a, some are racist murderers. Some, you know, there's different motivations of serial killers. That's why they're all different. Okay. Dahmer wanted to... He wanted to own people. He wanted to uh, possess their bodies. Yeah. That's all he wanted to do. He didn't even like killing people. He just wanted their corpses. Um, Gacy was a lust killer. He loved to strangle them and have sex while they died. He loved that. He also had sex with them after they were dead. He never would admit that, but he did. Um, so, you know, Bundy was a lust killer, but he also liked the violence of it. So yeah. he was almost an anger retaliatory. You know, he was a... He, he enjoyed death, sex with them after they were dead. So he would enjoy the killing, very angry, and then he would have sex with them. How many of the, the, the and maybe it fluctuates, but I mean, especially if there's 3,800, I mean, that's a good sample size, especially for something oh, very like good. this. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at, we were going, and I, I go back to the Mindhunter. I don't remember the name of the killer, the one that was in, I think it was Baltimore, mm -hmm. but it killed something like 30 Thirty children, like in, in the, the urban Baltimore neighborhoods, do the do in your experience or what you've seen do the, the do the killers stay within their race? I know Dahmer didn't all the time. Dahmer, I know did did kill black and white. Good question. But do like is there a correlation to that? M second myth. Okay. Killers, serial killers, kill within their own race. That's what a lot of law enforcement believes. That's okay. why these guys get away with murder. White serial killers, ninety five percent of their victims are white. Okay. So pretty much white serial killers kill white victims. Okay? Black serial killers kill 42% of the victims are black. So 58% of the victims are outside of their race. So here's the way I, I explain it to the, the homicide detectives I'm training. If you have black victims, you're looking for a black serial killer. Why? Oh, okay. White serial killers don't kill black victims. Now, there's a couple exceptions. The Green River Killer and Jeffrey Dahmer. But the percentages are more in their favor, but too. the percentages are more in their favor. If, if you have white victims, it could be anybody. And so some law enforcement white victims are looking for a white serial killer. Slow down, man. It could be anybody. And, uh, yeah, Dahmer was killing gay men in Milwaukee. He, yeah. he was, I've been in his hunting ground. It's like five bars in a very small area of Milwaukee. Close to his apartment. Been to his apartment, too. And he, was, he wasn't picky. He'd kill anybody in those bars. Yeah. So he killed a lot of black victims. Gary Ridgway, Green River Killer, was trying to wipe Seattle out with prostitutes. He wanted to kill all the prostitutes. So when you're working a case like that, you can kind of say, this guy doesn't really care about race. This could be anybody because he's killing everybody. Yeah, That's how you know. And it also shows how high the number is because you said there's 3,800 3, yeah. 
serial killers. So let's say Dahmer. I don't know how how many uh, black. Seven. Oh yeah, most of his were almost all of them were black. So, so but, but that's seventeen. That's still even a small percentage compared to how many serial right. killers are there committing how many murders. Okay. A very small percentage. And that's thirty eight hundred yeah. known. Thirty hundred known. There's actually, there's at least a hundred moving around right now in this country. That's hundred. And that's the one that you see that in so many like shows and movies. It's usually like a uh, a precursor or like a, a post mortem no pun intended, yeah. at the end of the show or the movie that says, you know, FBI statistics show that there are X amount of active serial killers in the U.S. If the FBI says 50 or more, I say 100. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, serial killers are truck drivers. No oh, because of the truck okay. drivers. So it's a, it's a great job to have if you're a serial killer. You're moving around the country. You stop at these truck stops. There's these prostitutes knocking on your door. Pull them up into the truck. It's very soundproof. Uh, you kill them. You, uh, most of the guys that I talk to that are, that are successful in getting away with murder, they, they kill them. They, uh, put them in the, in the bed behind their, behind their truck seats, take off all their clothes. They dump their body three or four states away in the woods, somewhere off the freeway. They put their clothes in a dumpster a couple more states away and they get away with it. Do you think, do you think that's because they know about the, like the jurisdictional, like if you find a body in Nevada, Nevada police are going to take it. If crime, if, if, uh. Clues are then found in, say, like Missouri. Then all of a sudden, you have another, and just like the jurisdictional, I, I think it's, just, make it it's just separating evidence. Um, if you kill someone at a truck stop in Chicago and they find the body in Chicago, they could probably connect it. But if you strangled someone and they're missing at a truck stop in Chicago, you find a body in Nebraska, and the clothes in the dumpster in Idaho. I mean. It's going to be very hard to connect that all together. Do you think that's conscious of the ones that do that, or do the you guys think that it's are just... smart? Yeah, yeah, okay. Because there and are dumb serial killers. There are dumb serial killers <laughs> that would just dump the body in the side of a road, a couple blocks caught, from their house, or bury caught, them yeah. under the. Well, okay. And I'm sorry. The, the more we talk about it, the more I have questions. No, you... because because again, I'm I've been living in a. You know, a, a documentary, you know, movie. I've seen so many movies about this. I've seen so many shows, so many docs, so many podcasts. So it's it's to have someone here that actually has experience mm -hmm. is a little daunting. And I'm just sorry. Fire away, man. I'm That's just going to start firing with, with I want to hear a question from Brian, yeah. too. With, with, a, a <laughs> with a bunch of facts, too, not just yes, like exactly. the facts. Right, Because right. what documentaries are like, they're, they are facts, but it's only certain facts to prove they're yeah. the documentary. It could be whatever agenda. the story they're still trying to tell. It's them. trying to sell yeah. the story. Um, no, I'm very, in, I, like, this is uh, interesting to me. Again, we were kind of talking before uh, we, uh, we started, but uh, I was kind of um, always, I was brought into, like, Charles Manson as a kid because my dad was always, like, he was a big Sharon Tate fan, and he was always fascinated with the mind of Charles. Right. Like, any documentary, any, any movie, any novel about it, my dad was all over it, and I was forced to watch it as a child, which I'm grateful for because it's, it's most interesting stuff. Um, but I actually do have a follow-up for, um, like you, you said, a lot of serial killers are truck drivers um, or so, something like that. Yeah. Um, so uh, what I know about serial killers, uh, again, you're going to tell me if I'm wrong, and I'm okay with that because I, I might be. Um, but a lot of serial killers, they seem like, like, they're, they're, like on the outside, they seem like they're like normal people. Like I, I'm a poor dude, but like uh, I feel like a lot of serial killers, like uh, I feel like they don't, like they have good money. And they're not rich or anything, but they're like well off on the outside. But on the inside, they're just internally want to kill people. Is that is that wrong to assume? No, it's um, it's they're very normal. How do you get away with multiple murders? You gotta you can't look like a killer. Yeah. You can't act like a killer, and 
yes, you got to be able to fit into society. Yeah. Um, now, there have been homeless killers. I mean, there have been people that are very poor. But as a rule, most serial killers have jobs, families, at least work. You know what I mean? They make yeah. money, and they they fit into society. So. They're not they're not the kind of people you immediately suspect of being killers. Yeah, and, and again, the smart ones know that. And they're not really suspects right away. So, um, let's let's talk about Charles Manson. Since yeah. first, what's your dad's name? Uh, Doug. What's up, Doug? How you doing? <laughs> Doug Charles Manson scared the shit out of me as a kid. But um, my mom, we we moved to we were we were in Cleveland, and I'll never I always I'll never forget Cleveland. I lived on Broadway near 55th it was very bad got robbed on the way to school went to holy name elementary down there and um when I, when I was 10 years old 1974 we moved to aurora ohio complete shell shock Joggle lake sea world i don't know you guys are probably too young to remember all this i remember Joggle lake. I remember Joggle lake. yeah, yeah. We, that's where I, that's where i grew up in a really nice town right and um so somewhere in that time I'm, i just moved to aurora I remember my house, and I remember watching Helter Skelter, and I remember sleeping on the floor of my parents' bedroom for a week. It scared the shit out of me. <laughs> so when I, got, I started doing this in uh, 1985, the first interview was a kid who killed three people, sacrificed them to the devil. He was a teenager. He was like 16. He went to death row in Oklahoma and got executed. That was my first interview. Second interview was the son of Sam David Berkowitz, the 44 caliber killer. From, from New York. That was your second interview? Second interview. That's insane. And I drove back from New York to Cleveland thinking to myself, that guy was nicer than my dad. What the <laughs> fuck? How fucked up is my life? That guy cares about me more than my father. Yeah. And he's still alive today, and he still probably doesn't care about me. But <laughs> then I thought, well, if I could talk to the son of Sam, I probably could talk to Charles Manson. So, you know, I... I, had, I, I finally got good at putting together a letter. When I sent it out, I get a response. And, and that's how I've gotten so many responses. Yep. Charles Manson wrote me back. Holy shit. Wow. Now I'm talking to Charles Manson, the guy that gave me nightmares as a kid. <laughs> and so we exchanged letters. And uh, I've got something here I want to show you, the first piece I want to show these guys. Um, yeah, so if you're looking at this piece, and these guys will put some pictures on Instagram, I guess. But Charlie eventually would start sending me Christmas cards. I wish I would have saved everything I got from him, but he put a swastika on the Christmas card, which is kind of freaky. He would send me weird postcards just like that. There's nothing on it. He was into this land, trees, air stuff. Remember that? I don't know what that's called, but he was into that, like after, whatever they call it. Land, air, tree, like... Like like spiritual? Yeah, he was into that weird stuff. And um, so that was kind of cool that Charles Manson sent me a Christmas card. So that's kind of one of my claim to fames. And I've kind of gotten to know... Charles Manson's grandson. He lives, he's lived, where I'm moving in Florida, he lives. Okay. Him and I are pretty tight. You want to hand me that, that white thing underneath, on top of the white cloth. So I want, I want y'all to hold this real quick. So Lexi, come here. We got the real celebrity in the room is Lexi. Yeah. Lexi, I want you to hold <laughs> she that. She booked this interview. <laughs> hold that, Lexi. Take a look at that. Handle it. Hand it to Joe. And then hand it to Brian. Take a good look at that. Brian, I want you to hang on to that. Maybe take a sniff of it, Brian. I'm glad he asked you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the cloth that covered Charles Manson's corpse in the morgue. Wow. What? Yeah, that's a piece of it. Yeah, it that smells like hippie. <laughs> 
you smell like Charlie? How'd you get your hands on I'm this? I'm friends with his grandson. I'm gonna get his. I'm gonna get some of his ashes when I get my thing oh, started. Wow. I have actually. I actually have a piece of Charles Manson in my new museum with uh, ashes. His ashes. Wow. So that's Charlie's. Charlie's corpse, covering from his funeral. And you and we were talking about like earlier about like you know the serial killers that are known. So I mean, is there a, a more well known one than Charles Manson? I mean, even people that don't Charles even know. What he actually—he's not even a serial killer, which is crazy. Can you imagine, yeah. Can you imagine if no. we said like Brian's a serial killer? No, I'm not. Well, we think you are. Yeah. <laughs> like Michael Jackson's the king of country music. <laughs> That's how well, crazy it is. But Charlie, I mean, but he's Charlie's like I never killed anybody. What people the hell? who know yeah. nothing about him, but they still know the name Charles Manson, like the killer. Everybody. Yeah, knows. Charles no. Manson at one point was getting more mail than the president. That's insane. Than the White House. It's insane. So, you know, I mean, that Charles Manson is a biggie. Son of Sam emails me all the time, but um, you had talked about some earlier cases. Well, grab, grab that next, those next two pieces there. Show Lexi that 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 necklace right there. So this is this is a really cool piece of true crime history. Some of you guys might remember back in the day there was an early serial killer back in uh, New York, and he uh, I'm sorry in uh, in Massachusetts he was called the Boston Strangler. Yeah. Okay. So Boston Strangler made, made jewelry in prison. So this is actually one of his necklaces and his handmade box that he would make in, in prison and um, show Joe and uh, Brian that one. So that's an actual necklace Lexi made by the Boston Strangler. <laughs> I would too. Super rare piece of true crime history. And he made the box too. He made the box and the necklace by hand made DeSalvo, by the Boston that was his name. Yeah. Albert DeSalvo. I was trying Boston to think of his Strangler. name, but yeah. it says right here on the box, made yeah. by Albert DeSalvo. Yep. <laughs> so these guys will come up with some kind of a craft and they will try to sell this stuff and make money. You look like you could sell this for K Jewelers. If he didn't murder anybody, he'd have a great if career. If you showed that to somebody, they'd be like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and you'd be like, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a serial killer. Yeah. I think it'd be even funnier if like, all of a sudden Albert DeSalvo had like, an Etsy store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Today he probably would have one. Yeah. He could. That's, how, that's the route he would The go. ultimate piece that I have is this. This is a handmade a violin. This is a, a handmade violin out of popsicle sticks made on death row. So this guy that makes wow. this on Indiana's death row, it's uh, episode one from my podcast, season one. Uh, William Clyde Gibson. Um, from Indiana, uh, you could hang on, hold on to that. That is a nice violin made out of. You guys will see these photos on their Instagram. Make sure you all follow their Instagram, uh, the Guiltless Podcast Instagram, and you can see some of this stuff. But this is an amazing. Look at the back of it, Joe. You can really tell. The reason I show that is the talent these guys have is incredible. That you could make that by hand with no equipment, no I mean, tools. This is. I mean, think about it. You'll see the picture, but I mean, if, if he makes, he has glue. Popsicle sticks and sandpaper. It's incredible. It's crazy to think that Charles Manson, out of all the serial killers, wasn't the only artist. Right. And Charles Manson did drawings that were really bad, but people loved him because yeah. it was Charles, it was Charles Manson. Manson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he did like uh, paper mache. He made like spiders out of string and stuff like that. Scorpions out of string. But I just think that's a really cool piece. And, and I show that to people like the wasted talent that these guys have. Yeah. You know, pretty sad. Do you, but, that is, that's bizarre. Not... And I don't want to say this guy doesn't just... sell these. Um, some of the guys will make me presents and gifts when I come to visit them. So yeah. this guy, when I come to visit him, he makes me a gift. And he's made me really amazing. You know, he's, he said he was going to make me a, a, this, uh, this photo frame, a frame. He's going to make me a frame out of popsicle sticks. Well, listen, when I was in kindergarten, I made a frame out of popsicle sticks. It's like three popsicle sticks, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, it wasn't uh, good. we all did that. Yeah. His, yeah. Is a, his is a heart-shaped 
frame that you can put a picture on both sides. It's incredible woodwork, and it spins on a spindle. Wow. All made by hand out of popsicles. I'm like, <laughs> wow. So that's just a, that's an example of wasted a wasted life. Now, how do you – so it is. Um, how, how do you – so when you go in there to talk to them – and you gain their trust. You don't tell them, oh, yeah, like this is my, do you tell them this is your job and you want to have a conversation? Yeah, what, the way I do it, because you can, their friends can Google me and look me up, right? So okay. I have to be straight up with them. This is who I am. This is what I do. And this is why I'm writing you. Just when you're, when you're honest with them, that's the best thing. Because okay. they, all, they all have, like I have a guy that will say, look this guy up and tell me who this guy is. And, you know, they all have those people on the outside. So, yeah, just straight up, this is what I'm doing. With psychopathic serial killers, you know, people will say, why do they talk to you? Why do they call? Why do they do this? Once I form a relationship with them, we kind of have, we, we kind of form an agreement. Like, here's what I want from you, and what do you need from me? Yeah. I'd like a food box every quarter. Okay. Then I, I'd like you to confess to an unsolved murder. So we kind of, we kind of have a deal. It's a bargaining chip. It's a yeah. bargaining chip. You know, wow. My, uh, my guy that, um, the guy that's on the podcast, Delmas Colvin, uh, he, he's the one that calls it all, all the time. He's a truck driver killer. He wanted a TV right off the bat. It was 200 bucks, So I, I bought him a TV, and he said, I'll call in all your trainings. I mean, so we just kind of find out what they want. Yeah. And I just try to get what I want. So. And you didn't yeah. plan on doing any of this as a, as a Man, kid. no. Yeah, what is – because I know – again <clears> – <throat> How did this really kind of start? Like, That's funny. So, and I'll take another one of these, Lexi, with you. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. looking for it. Yeah. I, yeah. I saw Lexi. Lexi like Lexi gets it. Yeah. <laughs> She's, She's like, getting Whoa. me another beer. Which, if you guys can't see this, this needs to be on camera so they could see all this. I know. Yeah. No. We have we have a studio, Gold Knox, that we usually go to. That's, but, cool. That's cool. I mean, it, they're they're busy a lot, so we're trying. We we work around each other as much. I as I told we these can. guys. Um, they can either pay me four thousand, which I normally get paid, or they can just buy me Yingling. And they chose the—I can't believe it—but they chose Yingling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, our money's tied up in stocks right now. So. Yeah, yeah. I got all my yeah, I got all my cryptocurrencies locked up right now. So yeah. So you know, I I didn't like I said I didn't plan on doing this. Um, I knew I came from a troubled home. <clears throat> when I moved to Aurora, and I met all my friends and all their parents, I said, "Wow, my family's fucked up." <clears throat> you know, I, I come from a really messed up situation. And I could tell you stories and bore you with crazy dysfunctional stories. But just yeah. trust me, I grew up in a dysfunctional home. And so um, I said, you know, uh, I was going to go to school to be accounting. I went to Kent State for a couple of years. And I was like, I think maybe I was going to go into accounting because I was really good at school. But then I, I went there for a couple of years and I said, this is boring, you know. It's not what I want to do. You know what? I'm going to go work with trouble kids. Yeah. I could relate to them. I would always relate to trouble kids. So... I started working with, I went to Green Road Detention Center over here in Warrensville. I worked with rapists and killers, teen killers, teen rapists. And I loved it. And I said, you know, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And so I started working with, uh, speak, I started speaking to kids and conferences and camps. And, and one thing led to another. I just took off. And the more I saw kids killing their parents and shooting up schools, I was like, you know, in my style, I'm, I, I don't just trust the media, and I want to talk to these guys directly. So I've always been like that. I, want to get, I, want to, I don't want to trust anybody. Else. I want to talk to them. You know? yeah. So I started sending letters to killers, and they started responding. It was shocking. And I was like, this is, this is going to be interesting. So um, when I saw I, – I, I remember I was living in Sugar Creek, Ohio. I had a bed and breakfast there, and it was in 1999. 
<clears throat> I was watching Columbine on TV, and I said, you know what? I'm gonna find out why this this is this. I've got to find out. So this is from '85 to '99. I've been kind of messing around this. I said, I'm gonna find out why these guys are why this is happening, and I'm gonna help people stop this. And so I took 10 years to write my book, Inside the Mind of a Teen Killer. It came out in 2009 on the 10-year anniversary of Columbine. And I had interviewed, I don't know, at that point, 200 teen killers. And uh, I came up with the, the answers I've been looking for. And now that book is used. People say, do you have a college degree? No, I was too busy doing this research project. And now colleges are using my book in their classes, which is kind of cool. Yeah, very. So, yeah, that's, that's how I got started. And um, after I, I, I just wrote another book. It's called the Teen Killer Whisper Teen Killer Whisperer. When that came out a couple of years ago, I decided, you know, I've kind of covered teen killers. I've we've we got the answers, we got the solutions, we got the the why. I'm gonna tackle serial killers now. Find out what makes a serial killer. How do you become a serial killer? So that's what that's what I'm doing now. Now I'll probably end up writing up my last book will be the ten myths of today's serial killers. Yeah. I have an interesting uh, question because there's always in just in the world we live in like I, there's a saying that I hear a lot it's anyone anyone could be anyone could go crazy yeah how true is that true is, is, is it ba is it mainly based off a bad I, I upbringing or childhood I, I wouldn't or? say anyone because I've, I've been put in some positions where I could have gone crazy yeah. and I haven't sure yeah uh, maybe not anyone I would say many people okay. can just snap and it doesn't like the, the it, like a, a bad upbringing does play a factor into it, it, but it doesn't. It's not the you could you could still turn into a murderer without like having oh, yeah. a great childhood. Like it's very possible. Oh yeah, a lot of a lot of guys grew up in nice homes. Wow. Do you? I talked to a lot of serial killers who grew up in nice homes. Yeah. Wow. Do you think your 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 upbringing, kind of a rough upbringing as you described it, played a hand in you kind of being drawn to this? Yes. Because. I mean, I, I think Absolutely. most people. I think well, even even before you started doing the the the, the profiling, dealing with kids that are you know murderers or rapists to talk to them about that, most people honestly just kind of don't have the stomach for it. They're like, that's just yeah, it's too hard. Like one or two stories, you're like, I can't do this every day. Yeah. But do you think you're just you were just kind of more I, I you had more of the calling. kind of shell that was a little harder. Than I'm very else's? spiritual, and I think it's my calling. Yeah, it's my reason I'm ex in existence. I think this is what I'm called to do. This is what I was born to do. And, um, uh, you know, people ask me how I sleep at night, and I say, in my underwear with the fan on. I mean, <laughs> just like you. Um, I sleep well, too, you know. I mean, when, I, when I'm when i done speaking or I'm done doing this interview, I'm on to listening to jazz and having pizza and drinking wine and living a normal life. So yeah. I don't even think about it again until I speak again. So it's just so my you can mission, turn that my off. calling. Like, yeah, I, I, I think people would have trouble with that, too. Yeah. And I see a lot of crazy crime scene photos. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I always say that real heroes are the cops that show up at these scenes. They they smell it. They taste it. They're there. Some of those guys, when you experience it live, it's it's a whole different thing than what I do. Yeah. So they're the heroes. They're the ones that they do have trouble living with it. You know, they you find some bodies that have been tortured and stuff. It's I mean, it's 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 in front of you. It's right there. That's tricky, man. I mean, everyone's everyone has said it or heard it or it's been said. Then there's some things you can't unsee. Yeah. And some people can process it better. Other people can compartmentalize it. Other people, just that's the first thing they see when they wake up, and it's the last thing they see before yeah. they go to sleep. You know, and it's and was, none of them are right or wrong. You know? I was reading a story, funny story. I think it was today or yesterday. Somebody was driving on the freeway with the van, and a corpse fell out of the back of the van. It was a funeral home or something. And the corpse was bouncing all around the freeway, and five cars were wrecked. I mean, people lost their mind. I'm like, this is something you don't see every day. Yeah. Um, 
most people can't deal with this kind of stuff the same way. They they lose their mind, and it, it's just something that uh, this is what I do, and and uh, you know my my goal now is to solve as many cold cases as I can. So that's how I'm going to end end this is to solve as many cold cases yeah. as possible. Yeah. Now, so you like so so you end up, you know befriending a lot of these people because you're getting inside their minds and you're 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 coming to a full understanding mm -hmm. um how does how does that go about how do you how do you uh like have how do you consistent get a christmas card from charles manson? yeah how do you get a christmas <laughs> like, card from charles manson because that's trust a lot of them won't talk to people it takes time i mean it takes time writing letters and yeah. sending christmas cards and taking their phone calls when i don't really want to talk on the phone yeah. um if if anybody does call during this interview, I will take it. By the way, please. Um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's just it's time. It's 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 not only taking the time, but also a relationship over time. They start to trust you. You know, um, when they first signed, there's a guy named Delmas Colvin. He's episode two on the podcast season one, where the bodies are buried. By the way, where the bodies are buried is a podcast. Two seasons of mine that is owned by actor Dennis Quaid, and it's produced by the guys that brought you Duck Dynasty. Um, I like that combo. <laughs> yeah, I do too. About yeah. serial killers, Dennis Quaid and the guys yeah. that made Duck Dynasty. Dennis Brought Quaid, to you by, cool. and then just you know. Dennis Quaid's got some really good scary movies. Like he's he's a good bad guy. Oh yeah. But um, I, I didn't know what I was saying. I'm um, sorry, I cut you off. That's for all right. Joke. That's all right. <laughs> um, like building the trust. Oh, we talking about Delmas yeah. Colvin. Yeah. yeah. So when I first talked to Delmas Colvin, uh, he uh, sent me a really nasty letter. And I sent him a. I, I, I don't put up with that from serial killers. Like, I'll send him a letter back, like, you know, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? This I'm not the one, you know? And once you do that, they respect you. Um, I just had another guy who killed a bunch of kids in Naperville, Illinois, Chicago. And I said, you know, I don't know who you think you're fucking with here, but this is, this is not how I roll. And, you know, and he came back and said, I'm sorry, man. I'm just, I kind of joke like that, you know? But I think if you can gain their respect, that's the key. Delmas Colvin got my letter back and he said, wow, this guy is real. So we became pretty close i mean we do a lot of stuff together he calls in all my trainings he uh, interviewed for the he's going to give us some cold cases for the tv show coming up and um when COVID hit i'm a national speaker i speak at conferences so guess what happened to my business when COVID hit where do you think i've been for fucking two years <laughs> sitting, sitting on my ass at home stuck right? in the house so nobody really helped me uh my wife's family helped us a little bit a um, couple friends, but um, I'll never forget this. I got a check in the mail for $700. And no, I know your business is hurting. This is for you. It was from a serial killer, Delmas Colvin. Wow. Really? He had gotten a stimulus check for 1200 from the government and sent me seven. Wow. Wow. So I'll always be able to tell people, most, ki most prisoners beg for money. That's all they ask you for. Can yeah. you send me some money? Put some money in my books. A serial killer sent me $700. Wow. That's actually that's actually a follow up to what I was going. Which, ask. by the way, I put right in my back and in my bank, and I needed it. Yeah, yeah, that was needed money. Yeah. So, I, I asked earlier, what was it like to befriend? Like, what's it like doing that? What is it like mentally for you? Like, when when you there's got to be times to when again you do like as a human, like if you're talking to someone so much, you are going to you're going to feel close to them. What is that? What is that like? Becoming close with a serial killer in your perspective. Yeah, I mean, I am pretty close to some serial killers. Yeah. And um, I would I would actually say we're friends, which yeah. is bizarre. Um, I'm really close to a lot of the school shooters. Um, Son of Sam is a guy that I'm pretty tight with. We talk all the time. 
Delmas Colvin. I just visited him again. My wife and I go to visit him. I mean, he's a friend. Yep. He calls me every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. He tells all the guards and all the people at prison that we're his adopted parents. <laughs> he's 60. He's 64. <laughs> and we're, we're in our 50s, and yeah, he, we're his adopted parents. But yep. we went there to visit him. One of the dumb corrections officers was like, your parents are here. And I'm like, these guys believe this shit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, you get close to some of these guys, and um, a lot of it I'm just doing my job. Like, I'm not sure. really their friends. But there's yeah. a couple guys that you do kind of grow close to that, you know, they're good. They're, they're, they don't seem like serial killers. My wife always says, and we leave prison talking to Delmas Colvin. He's a, he's a big six foot, uh, he's about six foot two, maybe 300 pounds, 350 pounds, big black male guy, great guy. Yeah. It's when you meet him, you say he's a great guy. You would never know he's a serial killer. And uh, he really does care about us, you know. And um, my wife leaves there, and she always says, I cannot believe he's a serial killer. And that's why they're successful serial killers. Yeah. Like BTK was the church president and the Boy Scout leader. These are not the guys that you expect to be monsters. So I always tell people, tell your kids monsters do exist. Stop telling your kids monsters are make-believe. Monsters are real. They do exist. Yeah. And they look just like the Boy Scout leader. It's like Scooby-Doo. Yep. <laughs> the you, monsters yeah, you are just up, under. Take up the mask. It's just a dude you know. yeah. or a chick. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You think about like some of like the the occupations. Some of some of them are highly intelligent. You know that they're, they're and they're they blend in like you said. You know, and people are like I can't <clears> believe. It. I mean, again, that's another movie TV yep. joke. You know, they interview the neighbor. They're like, I never would have guessed. He's so nice. He was yeah, so quiet. Say that. Of course. So, Brian, you live in Wichita, Kansas. BTK is out there killing people, right? Yeah. You're freaking out. You call ADT to have your security system put in. The guy shows up, and you're like, I am so fucking glad you're here, ADT, man. We are freaking out. BTK has got us shook. Guess who you're talking to? BTK is putting in your alarm system. Wow. He's got a name tag that says Dennis. You're talking to BTK. <laughs> That's how normal. About how to get people in and out. And he's like, oh, I'll know how to get in. No more. Can you imagine the stories he has? Like, I am so glad you're here. This guy's got us scared to death. He's fucking in your living room. He's right in front of you. He's already in your house. That is the ultimate. Like, that is how real it is. Is there anything that, so based off knowing all these serial killers and and murderers, is there, like, is there any, do do they sometimes, do they have a choice in who they, they have a choice in who they don't want to kill? Like, for strangers, or they just want to kill every stranger? No, they, um, <clears throat> some of them have a type, <clears throat> depends on who the killer is. Some of them have a type, some of them, um, like, they're, they're happily married, they have kids, and then they kill, so they don't just kill everybody. They're not like, that's the movie, like, they're monsters, they're killing everybody, even their family. Yeah. No, um, they have a type, they have a, they have a reason. You know, BTK is driving around town all day, and he spots someone that fits his type. Um, you know, Dahmer's going to the bars trying to pay people to take photos, give them 50 bucks, come on, come to my apartment, take photos. Yeah. He's got a type. So it's usually a certain style type person they're looking for. Bundy, Ted Bundy had a certain look he liked. and I don't mean I mean, like... he had a girlfriend who was raising her daughter, Ted Bundy. He's yeah. a monster. Yeah. The monster of monsters is Ted Bundy, and he gets all this, like... He looks sexy on TV. He's a monster, dude. He has sex with just your head. I mean, he's a monster. But you never think that when you meet him. No, I, I, I wasn't. I, I understand what you're saying. It, it wasn't more about like they're just gonna kill anyone, stab anybody. But based off of, based off like looking into the victims and the actual killers, 
um, was it like, and even survivors of killers, was there something that like a killer could hold back from kill? Like if they're like, oh, I want to kill you now, and they go, you know what? No, I'm actually not gonna kill you. Is that like a realistic thing that happens? Yeah, they would. Um, like a lot of the guys will tell me, everybody was a potential victim that I came in contact with. Everybody, everybody I came in contact with during the day. Like there's a guy named Paul Rungies on my podcast. He doesn't do many interviews. He doesn't do any interviews, <clears throat> but he talks about it. He said. Um, when I would go out through the day, wherever I, he worked for like a delivery company, everybody was a potential victim. And everybody got lucky that day that they didn't get killed today. Like he just chose it wasn't the right situation, it wasn't the right person, what yeah. didn't just hit him the right way. Um, Clyde Gibson, um, episode one, season one of Where the Bodies Are Buried, he uh, brought up, he called them barflies. He should be called the Barfly Strangler because that's what he... There's another guy called the Barfly Strangler, but he should be too. He would bring barflies home, and he would uh, have them come home. Sometimes he'd pay them for sex, sometimes not. And he said he pulled a knife off of the... Like right here, the uh, off the fireplace mount. He was going to stab a woman to death, and she said, Oh, a knife! Like the way she said it made him laugh. And he said she survived that day. Took her back home. Wow. So there's, a, there's close calls like that, yeah. That's, it's like one little, it, honestly, it sounds like a little bit of humor because my thing and is. She has it, no idea who she is or how close she came yeah. to death that day. Yeah, if exactly. A, if yeah. a serial killer went to go kill me and maybe I said a funny joke, they're like, oh, that was silly. You thought of my mind for a second. Never mind. That's, That's very possible. Yeah. I'll see you at the funny bus. Yeah, I'll see you. Who's <laughs> yeah. your biggest yeah. fan? Hey, I know you murdered somebody, but can you come to my next gig? <laughs> I need to sell four uh, more tickets. Don't Some serial killers like have like a. I don't know if you want to call it a formula, but you talk about like the, the circumstances have to be right. Yeah. Sometimes they'll even set the body a certain way yeah. or cover the head. <clears throat> That's a fan, they have a fantasy yeah. of what they want. <clears throat> um, I was going to bring you some of the magazines. I couldn't bring a lot of stuff today, but I have some of BTK's, the magazines I turned them on. And if you look at the magazines, the old detective magazines he liked, I actually have the one that he actually used for masturbation and stuff. And... Um, this magazine has a woman tied up on the front, and so he has a, a fantasy, and um, he's trying to trying to make that happen every time. And what they will always tell you is it never really does, it never really happens like that. You guys ever have a fantasy? Um, I don't know, maybe it's a date. You're gonna go on a date, and you have this fantasy on how it's gonna go, and 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 it's gonna be this and that. And you get there, and you, you're like, it just didn't go the way you wanted it to. And that's kind of the way it is for them. Um, once in a while it goes well, but for the most part, they're constantly trying to accomplish that goal again by killing and killing and killing, and they just never get the yeah. the, the fantasy. That they it have. sounds like me with stand-up because I'll have a good set, and then like you, sometimes I chase that perfect set, right? and you don't get it, but you always chase for it's it. You're same, like, oh, it's going to happen. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so know. You, that, get it once, you, you know what? And you get it once more, you're like, this is why I do what I do. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Because yeah, they fucking yeah. loved it. Uh huh. Know? Yeah, that's exactly what goes down. I don't have a dating one because I haven't dated in like 14 years. Yeah. I do have that one. <laughs> my fantasy every day is. Your, my, wife, your wife frowns on that right my now. my wife yeah. comes home. She's like, Joe, this is Amber. She's at Hooters and she'd like to join our bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's never happened. You're always going to be chasing that, though. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I just kind of be like, hey, man. Another day. Tomorrow's another day. Yeah. Well, you, you, let's 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 make it real for for Joe. So Joe, please you, do. You're yeah, gonna come home, you're gonna come home from work. You got this fantasy. You're gonna have a great night. You're gonna sip some wine, have some dinner. It's gonna be really romantic. You're gonna make passionate love to your wife, and then you get home. The first thing she says is, "Holy shit, our fucking this bounced, and we have a bill here, and this is going on." You're like, okay, then we're back to normal. 
That's my fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> That's my you know reality. what's funny, and, yeah. and, I, and I, I I deal with a lot of guys that have sex with corpses, and I asked I was asking an expert. I said, why do these guys have? Because I ask them, why do you have sex with dead people? I asked the serial killer straight up, and they like I don't know. I'm like you don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Why? I couldn't tell you. So I'm, I'm talking to an expert. With this guy's got a he's a college professor. He's writing a hundred books or something. But he said, um, he said, well, let me ask you a question. Let's ask Brian. Brian, um, let's ask you. Uh, do you prefer men or women? Women. Okay. Do you prefer blondes or brunettes? Uh, brunettes. Okay. Why? Uh, she's in the room. No, no, she's not in the room. Yeah. Just why? <laughs> I think it's, uh, why do I prefer brunettes? Uh, the answer is you really, you really don't know why. It's, my mind's just created okay, that. Right? It's a subconscious So when you thing. ask, and the guy says, you don't know why, like I have married to a blonde, right? Yep. And I like big breasts, I guess. I don't know. She's asking these questions. I'm like, why? I don't know. That's just what I like. And he said, why? Well, why? These guys don't know why either. Why do they have sex with dead people? They don't know why. It's just, that's what they like. I was like, that's weird, but I guess it makes sense. I've yep. never, you know, I've never liked, because I always thought, like, sometimes like that, because sometimes they can be, you've mentioned, they can't be standoffish that maybe they do know and they just don't want to say. And then once in a while, they'll say something crazy like, well, they don't talk back, or I can do whatever I want, they don't complain. It's not the real reason. But the real reason is they don't know why. No, that's a, yeah. especially when you broke it down like that. Because I was about to, I was trying to make something up for why I like brunettes more than blondes. <laughs> But whatever I say, you're gonna yeah. be like, no, you don't know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, you really don't know. <laughs> no, you're yeah. just yeah. kind of just drawn to. You see a blonde, you see a brunette, you're just drawn to the yeah, brunette you, more. He's you, always have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're a certain types, certain styles, certain this. You know what I mean? Um, but that that that's kind of like the way it is for them. And they, you know, a lot of people get that you're lying to me because you're not telling. No, they really don't know why. Even why they kill, like how they got started, they just. It led one led to another, but what what Dalmus Colvin will tell us is, when he when he he got mad at somebody and he, he strangled a woman in his semi truck in New Jersey and he dumped her, he said, "I kind of always wanted to do that, but when I finally did it, it was easier than I thought, and I enjoyed it, and I got away with it." He said, "I waited for the police to come, and they never came," and I was like, "Holy shit, I can get away with this!" And then he killed uh, fifty people over twenty four years. Fifty, yeah, and that that's and that's one that we don't know of. Mm, there's many like that. Yeah, I mean, the America's most prolific serial killer killed ninety three people, and nobody knows who he is. His name's Sam Lewis. He's a black male. Not many people know who he is. If you're really into true crime, you may have seen the doc documentary, but for the most part, people don't know who that is. No, we still are stuck on like the Dahmers, the, Bundy, Dahmer, the Night Gacy. Stalkers. Yeah, yeah, the the one and like Bundy was. I mean, I think the confirmed was like eight, maybe. No, Ted Bundy is. Um, they confirmed him about thirty-six, okay. thirty-two to thirty-six. I think he's killed over a hundred, because he roamed the country by himself for many months. I think he killed a lot of people, and he said my number. He told his attorney towards the end there that my number is in three digits. Um, Green River Killer. He's the he was the mo the deadliest confirmed killer at forty-eight. And Sam Lewis, who's killed ninety-three. They just confirmed fifty. So he's oh. the deadliest. Okay. If you want to talk, there's two numbers. How many confirmed? How many have you really killed? Yeah. Delmas Colvin confirmed? Seven. How many has he killed? Fifty. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of yeah. in terms of like, like what was actually tried, convicted, that they yeah. could actually confirm. Most of the guys have killed more than the police know about. That's why I, where I come in. So I become their buddies. I become their friend. And I say, by the way, 
I'll buy you a food box, TV, whatever you want. I'll, all I need you to just give me one of your cases that nobody knows about. I, I don't even. I see. I, I I could assume there was something like that happening. To where, how does someone someone might get on the inside and figure this stuff out? Like, I'm usually trying to be like Try, trying yeah. to come up with random like funny things to say or just happens. Yep. Um, but I'm so intrigued because yeah. now it's like a reality. No, there are other people we don't know about oh. that help solve these crimes yeah. and help get into the minds of, of mm -hmm. these murderers. So, Joe, you know Mine Hunter. Yeah. You know John Douglas. Yes. The mine he is the Mine Hunter. He came to see Doug Delmas Colvin. Right here in Ohio. He came to Ohio, Lebanon Correctional to see Delmas Colvin. And he had photos of some crime scenes of some dead women he threw on the table. And he said, I think you, Delmas Colvin came down. He's handcuffed. He says, what's this? And he says, I think you killed these women. They got to imagine. It's John Douglas, another FBI agent. They got their camp, they got recording devices. Delmas Colvin, big six-something, 350-pound guy. And um, Delmas Colvin says, the, the mine hunter, um, first of all, I don't know who you are. Second of all, you didn't make an appointment with me. And I'm not doing any, I'm not saying anything until unless you pay me. You're going to pay me to confess to murders. And John Douglas said, a guy like me don't pay a guy like you. So Delmas Colvin said, lean in a little bit here, John. Lean in closely. Lean in a little, little closer. He said, I want you to get underneath this table and suck my blank. He said, his face got all red. And he said, excuse me? He said, you heard me. And he said it again. He said, now grab your girlfriend and get out of here. He said he was red-faced. He grabbed his stuff and ran out of there. He said, if I was a handcuffed, I would have strangled John Douglas. But that was not mine, Hunter, I don't think. So the point is, <laughs> the point is, these guys don't talk to anybody. Yeah. And they surely don't talk to the police. So answering your question, Brian, they don't talk to the police and they usually don't talk to the media. So I play, I'm kind of in between. I'm friendly with law enforcement. I kind of do media, but I'm kind of in the middle. You're middleman. And I'm able to do things that they can't do. I can buy them stuff. I can work with them. And um, is the $200 TV worth a cold case solving? Absolutely. The family agrees. They think it's true. The family loves it. So my goal is the next 10 years is to solve as many cases as possible. And that's what we're going to do. That's great. I, I had a question about the cold cases because it reminds me of, and, and I'm sorry because I have so many docs in my head that I'm blanking on it, but there was at least a supposed killer in Texas Maybe in like the fifties, or where that the Rangers supposedly solved like eighty or ninety murders, mm -hmm. and then they found out later they proved by accident that this guy was like out of state during like twenty that he confessed to. Or I, that guy's name is Henry Lee Lucas. That was the it. Doc is called the Confession Killer. Yes. Um. Yeah. So there are guys that will lie. Yeah. Like, and Lucas was playing them because he wanted coffee, lunch, and he got cigarettes. I, there was a guy that started lying to me, and I and I and I I got it. I figured it out, and I stopped talking to him. Um, I won't say his name, but but yeah, if if I catch any lies, um, I, I don't work with them. And so. you you have you, like you've you've been like, whoa, you're like, you've had enough. You've talked to enough yeah. people. You can. Tell there's been when there's been several. Yeah. And One guy was trying to confess to this big unsolved murder in, New, in Atlantic City. There was four prostitutes killed in Atlantic City. And this guy was trying to confess to it, and I was like, "This is going to be huge." I think the reward was like two hundred fifty thousand. You know me; I'm like, "This is going to be good." Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I probably wouldn't have kept all of it. I probably gave it to the families. But anyways, it was cool. And um, by the time we figured it out, he was in prison when these all happened. So I was like, 
Yeah. So I don't talk to that guy anymore. So yeah, yeah th- that was kind of just because if you start having this back and forth, and maybe it gets around that you that they can get something that some of them, some of the, especially some of them that are basically in jail for the rest of their lives anyway, they're like, what do I care if they tack another murder onto me if I can right. get something like that? But they have to give you something tangible, yeah. right? And the guys, like the, a lot of guys I work with, I, I can tell they're being honest. When they go to Delmas Colvin and said, we think you killed these four prostitutes in Atlantic City. Now he could just say, yes, tack some more numbers on. He said, I didn't do that. And he, he'll tell him that. And he gets calls often. He said, I, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. So that that's when you know they're being legit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Can, roughly, do you know like how many cold cases that you've kind of been involved in that have kind of been? Confirmed? You know, um, we just started doing this a couple of years ago, so we're just kind of getting rolling. But um, I say we're about five, about five cold cases. I yeah, mean, God, that's yeah, that's five incredible. More than I've done. I also thought if we did one, that'd be cool. Yeah, five more than you've done. Yeah, five more than that. <laughs> we have a lot more that we're working on for this. This TV show, we're getting yeah. ready to start. We, we start pitching tomorrow. And um, I, I won't mention any networks, but there's some networks that are looking for this show. And if, it get, if we hit it, it's going to be good. Yeah. Um, there'll be a, a show we're pitching where I go in, into prison and interview these killers and try to get cold cases. There's another show where I'm going to be interviewing school shooters. And so we'll, uh, you all follow me on social media. Yeah. These guys will give you my stuff. And... Um, We'll make make a big announcement. Hopefully, I'll know in a couple of weeks. That's awesome, man. And I mean, you know, five cold cases. I mean, you just kind of mentioned a little earlier. I mean, just I, for the families, the people that are where everything's just yeah. kind of like in limbo, whether they were not discovered or just that closure. I mean, yeah. that's that's huge. That you, yeah. you're giving people. I mean, it's pretty wild. That's that's crazy. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. It's scary. It's terrifying. It's but it's still. But along with cold cases too, one of the things we do is we have people talking about crimes that they never talked about you know um there's this big case of a real estate agent who was killed so i kind of was in real estate a little bit so i kind of have a passion for real estate agents yeah and i've been doing a little bit of stuff for them for safety and i'm gonna show you a, a, a woman that was killed she's a real estate agent a beautiful lady um let's see if i can get it here so this is her uh, her name's Beverly Carter. She's a beautiful real estate agent. Um, and uh, she's wow. the face of real estate crime. Okay? So someone came into her her open house, abducted her, put her in the trunk, took her, tried to get ransom, and ended up stripping her naked, strangling her, and burying her at a concrete plant. Her killer and I have become friendly. He's never even admitted he's done this before. He's never said, I did this. He's going to do it on the show. Oh, wow. man. So stuff like that, it's kind of like, you know, it's crime details. Like, what really happened? Even even though it's not an unsolved case, they've never told, well, this is what really went down. Yeah. You know, like he's saying, I, I did not rape her. Like, the family doesn't know that. I didn't touch her, you know. But you know, th- those are just as important as cold cases where people want to know what happened or where's the body or how did they kill my loved one or where where are, are her remains, you know, stuff like that. That's not a thing I, th- I don't think people, until they're actually in the scenario, maybe don't know that maybe they really do want to know everything that happened. You know, a lot people of, really do want to know that. Yeah, they ask me that. If you ever find this out, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. Some people uh-huh. are like, look, I know what happened. It is. Let's just let it be. I, I think, honestly, no, myself, people are like that. I think most people actually do want to like know. No. 
No, people do want to know. Let's um, get into some yeah, more of the yeah, stuff. There's, yeah, we got a bunch more stuff. So um, I brought a few pieces for these guys. And um, this here piece, and when you guys see this on the Instagram, it's, it looks like a big red handprint. This is a super, super rare piece of true crime history. It's a hand marker drawn John Wayne Gacy original. He drew a picture of himself and his himself as Pogo the Clown, which he would entertain children at parties. Then he took his hand and stuck it in some red paint and smacked it on top there and signed it John Wayne Gacy. Super rare. He only did a few of these marker drawings. Wasted talent once again. Super rare, yeah. That, like, I, I draw stick figures still. Yeah. This is the... When people talk about John Wayne Gacy, this is what his painting, this is his number one painting. It's him as Pogo the Clown. And if you guys just go Google Pogo the Clown, John Wayne Gacy, you'll see his painting. But, I mean, uh, rock stars, uh, people like Nicolas Cage and rock stars like Nirvana and all these guys all own these paintings. They're very rare. They're very expensive today. But John Wayne Gacy would have like an assembly line on, on his death row cell. He would have like six of these on the wall. He would paint all the reds, he would paint all the whites, he would paint all the yellows, and he would uh, sell these. Back in the day, they would sell for $50 to $70 from prison. Today, they sell for two, three to $5,000. Wow. On the back, you can see he signed his name, and he would put the date, and he would put a number on it. He would assign a number to it, and he would write a little message to whoever was sending it to. So Pogo the Clown painting, super rare. Probably the rarest piece I have today. Is this this one here? Uh, wait, we got two there. What do we have left here? Oh, cool. So this is um, it's a magazine. It says detective on it, okay. And um, and it's got a photo on the bottom here. The photo is the guys that killed Bonnie and Clyde, okay. If you look at this photo on the bottom of the guys that killed Bonnie and Clyde, there's a magazine sitting right here. This is the magazine that was in the back of the trunk of Bonnie and Clyde's vehicle. Wow. So that is super That's cool. Nuts. And the last piece we have is, let's come back to Cleveland here. This is Anthony Sowell, the Cleveland Strangler. This is the envelope he sent this out of prison, out of death row in. Um, he would paint a little bit. He's not a very good painter. It looks like a child. But he would actually paint some things. And this is a super rare painting by Anthony Sowell. This is his house on Imperial Avenue, the House of Horrors with 11 bodies in it. And this is the raised sausage plant next door. Where they thought the smell was coming from. And so uh, he signed it so well. This is super rare. Oh, my God. Anthony Sowell is dead, as you know, but he painted a, a picture of his house of horrors. That's insane. There's uh, there's probably a couple of those in existence. And, do, yeah. is, is painting just the easiest thing for them to kind of do? Yeah, they can get painting supplies. Yeah. Like the violin stuff is rare. Super, yeah. Most of the guys figure out how to paint or draw. Richard Ramirez would do that. Um, Gacy did that. A lot of the guys will do that. Now, a lot of these guys are trying to figure out how to make money. And one of the ways they can do it, like there's all kind of people in prison. If you kind of get into the prison culture, there's like, there's like certain guys that make greeting cards. And like Delmas Colvin sent me a really nice greeting card. Right. So he had to give some coffee to get a card to send to me. Um, there's those kind of things in prison. But then there's guys that do pretty elaborate paintings and they sell them. Prisons are starting to crack down on that stuff a little bit. So it's going to be even more of a rarity if they do. Oh, yeah, it's going to be really rare. Yeah, that's insane. But they a lot of prisons still, they think it's kind of like recuperative that they can, what do you want to call that? What they can paint and, 
it would help them not be so angry. What, what am I looking for it's here? Therapeutic. Like therapeutic. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like therapeutic. The truth is, it's not therapeutic. They're actually painting these to make it's money. Financial. Out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I guess can still be therapeutic. I guess. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Sounds... John Wayne Gacy painted this stuff, and he would buy diet soda, cigars, and candy bars. That was Which, his thing. In oh. prison, maybe that's just that's that's a kingdom right there. Like I went and visited Delmas Colvin a couple weeks ago. He ate two cheesesteak sandwiches out of the vending machine. The vending machines are the fancy restaurants in prison. So like when if you and I went to the marble room, yeah. that's the vending machine. <laughs> that's, their <laughs> marble room. that's their marble room. And um, or the what's the W, the seafood place, the W? Oh, Pier W. Yeah, Pier W. Yeah, that's their Pier W. So when he why would they want to visit with you? Because they get vending food. Sure. Yeah. Instead of the really, really bad food. They in the get kitchen. a Milky Way. <laughs> well, no, let me tell you. So he got two cheesesteak sandwiches. He gobbled those up. He wanted a bag of Lay's chips. He said, We don't have Lay's chips in the commissary. He opened those up on a plate and he ate those. And then he got, um, he wanted a diet soda. I can't remember what he got, like Mountain Dew or something. And then he wanted a chocolate bar. They don't have chocolate in prison. He ate four. Hershey's with almonds chocolate bars. So, like, Gacy would buy chocolate, soda, and cigars. Back then, he could smoke cigars. They don't usually let people smoke anymore in prison. Well, okay, so this is a follow-up. So, uh, out of all of uh, the people you have uh, talked to that were in prison, I'm assuming because they don't don't have the chance to kill, they're unhappy. Are they all unhappy in prison, or? No. They're not. Um, most of the guys seem content. Um, they seem relatively happy. They kind of figure out. They figure out their routine. They play chess. They paint. They work out. They they they, they have jobs in prisons where they can work. And they just kind of make the best of it in there. Okay. Yeah. I, not too many guys. Most of them are. They're happy. They're they're okay. So it, it does. I guess they have to relive. Kind of them. They have to relive their murders in the, in their mind and their cells. Yeah, it does help them. Obviously, like, or do you think it helps? I mean, it obviously keeps people in control. It keeps people safe. But do you think it, it, it? So it does help the the monsters. I think it does. Sense. I okay. would say yes. They're where they need to be, and um, we should never let them out. Yeah, we have released hundreds of killers, and we we've released over a hundred serial killers to kill again. And you're just, and at that point you're just helping that person uh, find a new routine, yeah, to murder. And, and and when I talk about these killers, there's two distinct types of killers, right? There's the psychopathic serial killers, let's just say Ted Bundy, yeah, who should never be released again, because he escaped twice and killed again, right? Yeah. Then we have school shooters, or juvenile killers who kill when they're 14, 15 years old. Their brains aren't fully developed, right? Yeah. Um, those guys can be rehabilitated. And I think they they will be if they kind of like take take prison serious and they get involved in programs. So another guy I'm really close to, his name is uh, Charles Andy Williams. He's the Santana, California school shooter. He's a, he's a really ni- a nice guy. He's been in prison 21 years. I just talked to him this morning. He's been in prison 20, he told me 21 years. And the anniversary was early March. And he'll be released in a year or two. He's married. He's got a college degree. He's a drug counselor, and he'll do well. He's, he's you asked me if they were, if they were remorseful. The yeah. Serial killers are not, but these guys are. Yeah, and he'll be okay. He'll do it because there's a difference between a, a like a 35 year old going on a murder spree and then 
like a 16-year-old. I mean, it's still wrong. 13. It's still wrong, but mentally, it's like, still wrong, it's but a yeah. kid, and they're screwed up. We've all done some fixed. really dumb things as kids, yeah. but when you do that, it's a lifetime of yeah. penalty, mm-hmm. which is sad, but it is, you know, it's true. Yeah. Um, juveniles are, it's a whole different ball game. There's 13 reasons why they kill bullying, dysfunctional home. I mean, we raise our kids in a very violent culture today. From a very young age, they got access to violence and pornography that a lot of us didn't have growing up. You know, they yeah. got access to a lot of stuff that we would never see. Their games, their movies, their stuff, you know. Um, so they're, they're already raised in a culture of death and violence. And um, it kind of seems like they kind of – who was I talking to? I was talking to the guy from the Cold Spring School shooter this week. And he said, yeah, he said, you know, it's – it's the media, it's the games, it's the stuff that kind of told, you know, gave me some ideas. And we're not blaming it on that, but it does give people ideas and thoughts. So to kind of piggyback on top of that, because I've, I've always wondered, and you would probably be a, one of the better people in the world to even ask something like this, is the, are the games, the movies, the media increasing the percentage of, say, child shooters, or were there more, were there actually these going on in the 70s and 80s and we just didn't have access to know they were going on yeah good question um the number of serial killers has increased over the years the number of teen murders it it was you know from like the 30s 40s 50s it increased increased it hit a high mark in 1993 we had almost 4,000 teen killers that year in the united states I think it has a lot to do with myself personally with the violent video games that came out in the 90s. We were playing Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, and all that shit in the 80s and 70s. All of a sudden, now it's Grand Theft Auto. And, right? So I think it's increased. Now it's come down because we've gotten better at dealing with these kids since 1993. Um, so school shootings, we almost eliminated. We had, we had it down to like five to seven a year. And now, because after COVID, it's it's jumped up. We had seven in the first month of school year. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we've 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 narrowed it. We've lowered the teen murder rate to about five a day. So fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred a year. Not too bad. It used to be almost four thousand. And um, you know, the school shootings, we were almost knocking them out. They were almost done. So. How, so wait, uh, what was the percent? How much of school shootings? So like, I just want to because Columbine that was in 1999, 99. correct? So like, let we could, if 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 you could go down from Columbine to now, like obviously you don't have an exact percentage, but I mean they've gone up drastically since then. Like I'm just using that time as like yeah. a, just any like just from 1999. It's still like modern-ish. Yeah, you know, know I don't have those numbers every year to tell you that in my mind. Yeah. Um, what I will tell you, the biggest change when people ask me this is up until 1990, we did have school shootings in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, okay, all through. So some people were like, you know, I grew up in the 80s or the 70s. We didn't have school shootings. You did, but they weren't promoted. They weren't publicized in the media. Yeah. And there weren't multiple victims. Like a kid would go into school and kill his ex-girlfriend and then himself. Yeah. He would go into school and shoot his bully, okay? 1990, <clears throat> things changed. We started seeing a lot more violent culture. We started training kids to kill, with especially video games. And we saw a whole different change where in 1993, 4, 5, up to Columbine, kids walk into a school and shoot as many people as they can. And the craziest thing is they're shooting people that they don't even know. Pure fits of rage. It's pure body count, 
kill as many as I can, innocents. Right. Some, not it started, so it, <clears throat> not even a target. It, what are you saying is it used to start up as revenge towards one person. Now it's just revenge towards society. It's that's like, what it like seems I like. want to kill everybody in this school. I mm-hmm. want to kill society. Yes, yeah. and that's how it's changed. So that's a big change in school shootings. Um, and now once you have one, you have copycats, right? So like, yeah. Yeah. and once Columbine hit, everybody wanted to be Columbine. Yeah. So I asked a kid from Cold Spring, Minnesota, which was like in two thousand three or four. And he said, uh, I said, were you trying to, you know about any, any school shootings before that? He said, just Columbine. So everybody knew about Columbine. And it Yo, did yeah, inspire yeah, yeah. a lot of kids. Yeah. We have stopped hundreds and thousands of school shootings, too. So you have no idea how many there would have been if we would not stop If there was them. no and relief, you hear those uh, we stories could have gone kind of chaos. frequently. Like, 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 we stop them all the time. Like parents <laughs> or whoever uncovering yep. a potential plot. Like, those are kids not. Kids are arrested all the time for yeah. a plot, but they don't pull it. Yeah, but if if it wasn't for people that that connected the dots or you know saw warning signs beforehand, yep. I mean, there's already a lot as it is. There's already way too many as it is. But we have a lot more. It would go oh, into yeah, pure. Yeah. It's already chaos, and, and it already is chaos because yep. there's a lot. But just imagine if again, how many if how many weren't yeah. stopped? Pure chaos yep. all around. And our homicide rate is really high right now, and a lot of this has to do with the COVID lockdown mm-hmm. and all that. Um, we expected a lot of violence, and it's true. Um, we normally have about 12,000 murders in the United States every year. We have about 16,000 now. So things are up. School shootings are up. Mass shootings are up. Homicide is up. So I'm sure serial killer numbers will be up too. Yeah. I think everything is up. I think all crime. Man, but murders are significantly up. And, you know, if you want to talk about just some basics of homicide and guns and all that stuff, People, a lot of people say we have a gun problem in the United States, and I always question them, like, what do you mean by that? Like, we have a lot of gun homicides. I said, okay. But if we had a gun problem, we'd have homicides in every city. Okay? For some reason, there's not a lot of murders in Aurora, even though there's a lot of guns in Aurora. Yeah. There's a lot of guns in Manaway and, you know, Garrettsville, and um, I don't know a lot of the rural areas, but there's not a lot of murders there. All the murders seem to be in Cleveland. Why the fuck is that? Because it's more than a gun problem. We have we have two major problems in the United States. We have a suicide problem. You know, um, we have about uh, thirty six thousand gun deaths a year. Twenty two thousand are suicides. So we have a major suicide problem in the United States, and that's a problem. And we we've we've closed all of our facilities, our mental hospitals. We've we've remember that used to be a big mental hospital in Garfield Heights. I don't know if you remember that. But oh, they, I remember. That. They've yeah. all been closed, right? So we have to somehow get control of our suicide problem. We have an urban violence problem. There's a shooting in Cleveland every week, sometimes every night. Yeah. Mostly on the east side in Cleveland, right? Um, we could say it's a gun problem, but it's an urban violence problem that doesn't happen in Aurora, in Hudson, in Chagrin Falls, in Avon Lake and Rocky River, right? Um, so we, we, need to, we need to get control of those two things if we're going to stop this violence in the United States is the, the, um, the suicide issue and... The urban violence problem. It seems like we need to, yeah, just pretty much a lot of, like, everyone's, uh, people in both of these areas, I could assume it's both mental health and, I mean, obviously there's other things yeah. that, that qualify for that stuff, too. 
But I mean, yeah, like mental health is a, which is good. A society, I think, is trying to have everyone take care of their mental health more. Yeah. They say it more, they don't do it more. Right. You know, say it more, they don't do it it's more. It's like those ads during uh, the pandemic. Do you remember ads like when we were on lockdown? They're like the heroes. And it was like nurses and yeah. cops and firefighters. But, and, and then, but I was working. I was taking care of intellectually disabled people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yay, I can get off work. And they're like, no, you can't. You're like needed here. And I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> um, I, wanted, I wanted to collect a paycheck at home. Um, but it's even stuff like that. Like they didn't give me, it took months to get a pay increase, but yet they're paying a bunch of money for Hollywood or whatever everything's to, to very, make money on the commercial. Everything's very political. Yes. Everything's very media oriented, right? Um, we would have to spend billions of dollars to open up all these facilities and really treat people that really need help. We would have to spend billions of dollars in our inner cities, places like Chicago, Miami, Cleveland, um, you know, Houston, and build better schools and give these kids some opportunity. These kids in Cleveland on the east side have no opportunity. They know that their life isn't going to be very long. They've, they've gone to shitty schools, and um, they, they don't have any hope in, until you give those kids hope. Yeah. You're going to continue to have shootings in Cleveland on the east side every, every night, you know, practically. It honestly is, reminds me of that scene. One of my favorite scenes in any movie that spoke truth towards anything is in Boys in the Hood when uh, I think Lawrence Fishburne, right? Was he the, the father in yeah. Boys in the Hood? He was telling the, uh, the speech about, like, there's liquor stores in every, on every, every corner. corner yeah. right. And, like, they want you to, they want you, don't, don't let it happen. Well, it's like yeah. something like that, I mean, really. Most places are, you know, high violence, high gun violence is usually coupled with low income. Yep. It's, it's the, like you said, no opportunities. And sometimes, income, it's, sometimes it's poor. Urban areas, It's beat schools, into their heads yeah. that they're like, this is your path and that's your only path. And that's, a, that's what's all that's around no, them. Yeah. Subconsciously noticing that at a child, at a, as a child. Yeah. Seeing no hope as a child, which, I mean, I could assume does correlate <clears throat> to fits of rage towards like murder or homicide, homicide, murder. Unless you've been raised in a situation killing. where you have no hope, you can't understand it. Yeah. No, I, I very much agree. If I was yeah. stuck in Broadway and 55th without my family, I really wouldn't have a lot of hope. Yeah. And um, I kind of got a glimpse of that. It's pretty scary, really. So, you know, that, that that's just if you want to get really cerebral about this and talk about the issue is uh, we, we, could we can a, make a difference with this, but it's, yeah. you know. We could do I, I always tell people, you know, as long as you don't join a gang, buy or sell drugs, and live in the inner city, you're probably not going to get killed. You're probably not. Would, would, somebody drive up somebody's house on the on the water in Rocky River and shoot them, it'd be very rare. Which is still Extremely crazy. Because you were saying earlier how like some <clears throat> serial killers that grew up in really wealthy. So honestly, it's just some I, I'm not I don't want to say it because I'm not an expert or anything. Yeah. But it sounds like some people just the the wires yeah. in some people are just It's true. They're they're just stuck to the wrong And some people say are the serial killers born or made? I think they're made. Now, you're question. probably born yeah. with some, maybe a little bit, unless Traits. you're born mentally ill. Serial killers are made. Something happens to them growing up. And, and things, uh, are, things are avoided to help change that, that the, the process. The biggest thing yeah. with serial killers is there's no bond with their parents. I was going to ask, like, because they're so different. They're there's unwanted. So many, they're not wanted. Is there that common denominator? And if you're not wanted from your parents, they're you not, feel like you're your not needed towards anybody. You, mm, that's pretty yeah. tough. Yeah. Think about it. Oh, when yeah. your mom and dad don't want you, and they tell you, um, that happens a lot. So, like Ed Kemper from Mindhunter. Oh. He locked him in the basement and stuff. So, um, 
you know, that's a big thing. And, um, you know, who knows? A lot of it's family and stuff like that. But uh, some of them have brain injuries, like uh, BTK was dropped as a baby on his head. Uh, a dresser fell on uh, Richard Ramirez's head when he was eight. John Wayne Gacy got hit with a swing when he was young, and he started having seizures after that. So, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it, but I think serial killers are made, not born. Does that kind of go back, like I think Brian had asked the question really, really early on about, uh, um, or, or he maybe made the comment that everyone has maybe the potential, and maybe not everyone does, but Many. maybe the people that do have the potential, like a lot of us have that potential, but maybe whatever it might be, family, probably a big one, surroundings, don't kind of, don't kind of trigger that one factor that we all have that maybe would push us over the edge. And then when you have maybe ones like this, maybe there is that one thing. Maybe they had that factor in them that maybe where they could be pushed over the edge and maybe the lack of parental love or emotion, whatever that might be, helps kind of trigger that and push that over. Maybe like the perfect blend or perfect storm, however when you call it. This is why true crime is so popular because there really isn't an answer. Yeah. Like, there really is not an explanation why somebody would do what they do and we don't. You've all been pissed off at somebody. You've been. I, I should just kill them, but y'all know we won't. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But some people will. Yeah. And it's hard to explain the difference between us and them. I mean, we all look the same. We do the same. You know, um, it's just there's something in it, them that's different than us. And. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've been in some situations where people have really tried to hurt me pretty bad, like in life, you know, ex-wife and stuff like that, where I, I can relate to why somebody would go postal, mm -hmm. but I didn't. But well, there's that thing that stops you. Yeah, there's yeah. just something that says, I, you know, I guess I like food too much and I just don't want to go to prison. There were, hey, I, rem sure. I remember we just had a really good meal. I know. Yeah. Right? Like, like, I'm not <laughs> if going I could to, not have those Greek photo fries If there's one reason why I want to yeah. go to prison, I like food too much. And yeah. I like to drink a little wine and stuff. You know, I just can't yeah. go to prison. There are moments to where, like, even I remember as a teenager, because every teenager is angry. Every, I, 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 anytime a teenager is not angry, I'm like, something's up with that kid. <laughs> he's, he's not going through life. Everybody goes through yeah. that. Yeah, there were yeah. moments as a teenager where I really, people really messed with me and I wanted to hurt them. But then there was, there's always a thing in my head that's wrong. Don't do that. And I'm like, no, that is wrong. Even if I'm mad, there's no justification for that. And nothing ever happened. And it's just crazy that other people. And I would say you probably had a decent upbringing. You had at least one good parent. I had two good parents. Yep. Something and, that you've been raised the right way at some point. Yeah. But more, I, I, I still remember, like, I remember it because it's that thing of, like, I'll have, like, a, like a, like a nephew or a family member yeah. that's, like, young. And they're like, yeah, I was so mad you don't understand. It's like, no, I'm 27. Yeah. Like, I'm still young, but I, I understand. Like, we, we all you, understand. And you combine that with suicidal. Like, you combine yeah. that with you don't care if you live. Now you got, now there's nothing really holding you back. Yeah. You're pissed at your ex-wife, and now I really don't care if I live anymore. Now it's going to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's a bad combination. A yeah. Bad combo. And we've had, a, you know, mental health's a big deal. So, yeah, that's that's response. That's a lot of it. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. I did have a couple uh, other questions in terms of because uh, again, the more we've talked about these things, the more I'm. Obviously, things have. I, I think that it's. I don't want to say that it's it's more difficult to maybe get away with murder, but obviously advances DNA, you know things like that, surveillance. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's cameras all over the place. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, just look at like the you know, the Boston bombing. I couldn't believe how fast that was, mm -hmm. you know, solved, but by everyone just turning in cell phones. So I, I think that there is a, a harder. It's more difficult to get away with it. I'm not saying it's impossible, especially with like the truck driver scenario we were talking yeah. about earlier. But is that something that 
has played a factor in yes. the okay. Yes, I think you're seeing a lot less of those types of crimes because people know yes. the average home has cameras. Can't just go in and grab the woman of the house like they used to in the day, back in the day. And um, a lot of serial killers are apprehended pretty quickly, so a lot quicker now. Um, a lot of the guys you don't know of, like there's so many serial killers right now that nobody knows who they are. We just arrested a guy in Tampa. He was shooting people and they get off the bus in Tampa, Florida. The other guy was shooting homeless people in uh, Fort Lauderdale. He got arrested. You don't know their names. Another guy was uh, shooting homeless people in Daytona Beach. He just got arrested. But they're they're just they've killed two or three people. And the surveillance cameras they caught them. So they're getting they're still serial killers, but they're getting caught quicker. Yeah. What about we talked we were talking about like school shootings that like the the number that have been prevented when you're talking about serial killers and again with some of the advancements medical the research the stuff that people like you are actually doing is can this eventually be something that it's preventative where you're heading off like older serial killers or is that something and maybe that maybe it's a time will tell no or you just don't think it can happen no because usually you can't spot those people until they kill oh and people say well will we ever stop school shootings no unless you unless you set up your school like an airport no. There are no more shootings at the airports at gate C-38 because of security and the way it's tightened up. You'd have to treat every school like an airport. So there's always going to be school shootings, hopefully not as many. Yeah. And, yeah, serial killers, you, you'll, you, can't, you don't know who they are. So, I mean, how do you make parents be good parents? You can't. That's why I'll say, can we save all the kids? No. Can we save some? Yes. But those kids all have to go home at night. You have no idea what goes on behind the doors of these homes. It's always going to exist, but it's just about keeping the numbers the numbers as low as possible. That's the most realistic. You can the never numbers have, as low as you can. Yeah. You, you can never have all the information. You could have apprehending them quickly. Yeah. But the abuse that kids take today with dysfunctional homes, There's, I mean, it's out there. You'll never know. I mean, you can't tell someone how to parent. We've all heard how that goes. And Don't tell me how to parent You can't hold them kids. accountable until they actually do something. Yeah. And somebody comes forward, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's tough. And then I do have like a, honestly, it's more just like fanboy question. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen so many documentaries and movies about Zodiac. Yeah. There are always, I think there's usually about four or five that like we think it was, do you, I don't know if you've done any research or looked into it. Do you think they were close on any of the ones they've identified or is that just more just, Trying to make people feel better. All the latest stuff they came out with, they thought they solved the crime was wrong. Um, they kind of thought it was like a doctor's son or somebody. They, they, there's this one suspect that they have. I'm not as familiar with the case as I should be. But there is a guy that they think it was. I think he was a doctor or a doctor's son. And uh, he's dead now. They'll never solve that case. So they'll never solve that case. I interviewed the copycat Zodiac, but the Did real you? Zodiac... No. Um, no, that case will never be solved. They think they know who it was, but it'll you'll never hear. Times ticking. If anybody says they've solved it, they're doing it for media purposes. That was yeah. that's kind of what I was good. Like I I don't know if I remember watching one of the docs or the movies, and they were like, they were interviewing, and everyone's like, due to my research, I think it's this guy. Due to my research, mm-hmm. and there's four of them. I'm like, God, it sucks. You guys all yeah. can't get in a room and decide. No, <laughs> <laughs> most of it's for media coverage, and some there was just a big story that they solved it. Like, they figured out who did the drawing. They figured out the message he had and all this. 
without DNA, I don't believe it. So some of them are good. I don't know how many of the shows and stuff like like you watch or, or look at, but some of them are very good. Some of them are, are kind of goofy. Some of them are like you're. It's very clear they are just yeah. attention driven, but. Myself, as someone that consumes a lot of these, they're also entertaining because of the information and it's so unique. But do you think that that stuff hurts or helps? The shows? Yeah. I mean, I think it can help by educating the public what to look for. And I think, you know, a lot of people, because of those shows, call in tips and people do get arrested. But I also think it gives killers a chance to to learn more about technology and forensics so they can not get caught. How to slither away faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I yeah. can see that too. Makes sense. So it's a double-edged sword. Well, I, I want to keep, uh, Joe, I think we both want to keep talking. We both want to keep talking to you, Phil, but I don't, you, you got to go get some food in your stomach. <laughs> yeah. You got to hang out with your wife and get some pizza. Yeah, I know Angela's is just down the street, so you're yeah. so close to yeah. pizza. Sure. Yeah, you can almost <laughs> smell it, just like I smelled the the the, 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 nap, the towel that covered uh, Charlie Manson's head. <laughs> Ooh, pepperoni. Yeah. This so, was, you know, so I, I just want to, you know, your listeners, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. I sure, appreciate it. No problem. Um, the story is I met Brian's wife at Crust. Oh, girlfriend. Girlfriend. Okay. <laughs> She's be like, <"W-> really? <laughs> not, you haven't married this guy? New okay. podcast. Yeah, so new Brian, podcast. <laughs> Brian's girlfriend, yeah. Lexi. Let's give Lexi a shout out. Yeah. Um, at Crust, and I normally don't do, I normally don't do these kind of interviews, but <clears throat> always when, when it comes to Cleveland, I have a big place in my heart for cleveland uh love this city and um hopefully it went well hope you guys enjoyed it and they all can reach out to me i'm on social media facebook instagram twitter i have a website <clears throat> i have a really cool thing on my website philchalmers.com it's uh my notebook you can download my notebook from my class so you can actually see my 30 page notebook that i would give to the fbi or law enforcement That's at my cool. training so that has all the causes warning signs triggers and i think it has the ten myths of serial killers too. Wow! So there's some there's a freebie for you to, to grab that. We will totally tag <coughs> all that stuff all that, up, and we're gonna sure. put we're gonna take pictures and put it on the Instagram, yeah. and also <coughs> personal pictures just to you know show my show my friends. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> yeah. no one will believe this happened. No one will believe it. Thank God we recorded it. They're like, I mean, what rapper did you talk to this week? Like, yeah. no, this guy like <laughs> solves crime. Yeah, <laughs> this wasn't just a friend of ours. Yeah. This was really interesting. It, for again, not just from being a huge fan of like the, the entire. Mm-hmm. And I know it's weird even saying a big fan, but it's just mm-hmm. it's so interesting to find someone that's doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And we talk to a lot of people that really like what they do. I mean, this is like ten levels above that because it's almost something that I just don't know. Most of us wouldn't even be able. We, we wouldn't almost. We just wouldn't have the right mentality to be able to kind of dig into things like this it's unique that you can do that and it's unique yeah. that you can stay with it i mean the amount of people that you've talked to that have you know kind of done the things that they've done and, mm-hmm. and to, for you to be able to kind of stay into i mean getting a birthday card from I mean, from charles that's insanity no pun intended yeah. but i mean that's yeah. that, that's crazy to, to, to the level of kind of uh just friendship if you want to call it that or, or at least mutual respect that you built with some of the more complex people that the world's yeah. ever known is off the charts impressive. Yeah. It really, really well, is. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy what I do. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think I could do anything else. Um, and what's coming up next for me, I got this podcast I did for a couple years, uh, a couple seasons. You guys listen to that. I decided to do no, no more podcasts for me, and I've decided that I just want to do TV. So I hired an agent in a production company. 
out in L.A. who are very good. And we start pitching our TV show Monday, which is this week. And hopefully that'll be our next project. I'd like to do a couple TV shows, a couple series, and solve some cold cases and then ride off into the sunset. And I'll be, I'll be down in Sarasota, Florida uh, within less than four months. And um, that's where I'll end up uh, in my career. So. Well, if you ever need any uh, bald bald men to do like those like reenactments in between, <laughs> I'll shoot you my agent's number, who is Lexi. <laughs> uh, no, but that's who, awesome. by the way, Lexi, you're going to be the wife soon. I just called it here today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck. I don't make that much money. The ring's going to be one of those uh, toy rings. <laughs> I'm just excited for all the reenactments to have the same person in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just me. I'm just like, hi. It's just Brian. I'm Dude. a killer. <laughs> just smiling. Well, again, Phil. Trump, yeah, this was a pleasure. Please check out Phil's website, Where the Bodies Are Buried. There's a lot coming up here. This is really very cool, very interesting, good work that you're doing, everything. And uh, I look forward to seeing what else you're going to be doing here. And I'm, I'm really sorry that you've decided to move down to Florida to miss seven months of, of winter. I don't know why you do that, but, hey, man, it's your life. Yeah. <laughs> this is really cool. We really appreciate, appreciate you taking it, man. the time. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having yeah, me on. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you, man.